Good morning, coming to you once again from Backwoods Theology from a cold morning here in an undisclosed location in the state of Maine. Had to put a couple extra logs on the fire this morning just to get the frost off the pumpkin. And we are ready this morning to discuss the Word of God. We have been uh, fellowshipping, been to breakfast. I enjoyed uh, talking about the Lord's Day yesterday in our respective churches. And so we're excited about coming to uh, speak to you this morning, and we're excited about our topic. So once again, this is James Wiley, uh, pastor of the Churchill Baptist Church in Augusta, Maine. And with us is is Brother Josh. Say, hey, Brother Josh. Hey, Brother Josh. <laughs> you knew I was going to do that. That was I did. bad. A little we bit more, a little bit more. You didn't have to take me that literally. <laughs> So am I just saying hi? Just say hi, just yeah. Say, you can say whatever's on I your mind. I am glad to be here. Yeah. I am glad to be here. I do question sometimes why I'm here, but I'm glad to be here. Well, you're looking sharp today. I know. I don't have the fish shirt on. You're not wearing your fishing yeah. shirt, wearing the really a dapper flannel shirt. It is dapper. Yeah. We're all true Mainers. We all have our flannel shirts on this morning. We do. Well, is that flannel or is it just plaid? Flannel. It's, it's plaid. Can I tell? Fun, can I can I start with a funny story? Absolutely. I was at uh, the barber shop a couple weeks ago, and I'm wearing my my green jacket, which you've seen. This red shirt, pair of jeans and shoes, and no joke, an 80 year old man walks in wearing the same <laughs> jeans, same kind of print shirt, and the same style green jacket color. And he comes in and sits right down next to me, and and I. I felt like, man, my sense of style is timeless. An 80-year-old man is wearing the same thing that I am. But it turns out he was actually, uh, he's a missionary. Um, it, it was in his 80s, but he shared uh, some of the work that he did in Peru, actually back in the 60s. And it was a blessing to get to talk to him. But it was funny that he walked in. I'm like, oh, that's what it'll look like when I'm... 80. Not too bad. Glimpse of the future. Yep. So what you're saying is is no one should join Backwoods Theology for fashion trends. Nope. Because, no. Because, uh, no. yeah, we might have the most up-to-date fashionable flannel mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I wouldn't uh, even go so far as to say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot of life left in that shit. Yeah. <laughs> there is, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we've discussed much about and. Uh, this podcast is new for all of us, and obviously a huge topic of discussion is, what is our topic of discussion? <laughs> and we could spend an entire episode here just talking about what we go through to try to come up with what do we talk about. There's just limitless uh, things to discuss, and but we want them to be interesting, not only for our discussion, but interesting for our listeners, because we do want to bring great... Uh, content to you. And so we've discussed many, many things about what we want to bring up today. But I think what we're going to discuss, at least at first, and the beauty of a podcast is what's going to come up in discussion. Sure. Um, And I just want you to know as well, we, on a very limited basis, talk about this because we really want to bring the impromptuness to this. We don't want to be scripted. Uh, We have not discussed we won't discuss what each other thinks of these topics. We really want it to be fresh in our podcast. So I think we decided this morning just to come up with something that came up over the past few days, just in our conversations with different people. And that is essential, the word essential doctrine, hmm. um, essential versus non-essential. And, it, and it's interesting. And as we talk about this for a moment, 
um, it can be taken to both extremes where you have those that very seemingly essential doctrine they feel is non-essential. And then on the other extreme, you have those who take really non-essential things and make them absolutely essential. And so finding the balance, finding the balance, but more importantly, what do the scriptures teach? And more importantly, for those of us who are pastors, how do we shepherd our people? when it comes to this. So I'll just open it up to you. Uh, when I mention the word essential, when it's referring to doctrine in the scriptures, what do you what do you guys first think of? What comes to mind? Go ahead, Josh, you go first. Well, um, the word fundamental is passed around so much now. And I like, I personally like using this word essential versus the word fundamental. Um, Essential to the to to the sense of a a a hill to die on, say it that way. Right. I mean, there's a range of I, topics <clears throat> from the scriptures to whether men should have beards. That's right. Uh, it seems to be uh, all kinds of where we will make them essential or non-essential topics. Back so, to you, Josh. So one of the uh, for me um, a non uh, an, an essential would be. First off, scripture. What is scripture? What is what is what is considered um, the word of God versus what is considered not the word of God? That's a, that's a that's an essential to me. You you could even class it as the essential. Yeah, like it is the point of departure. Well, if you it's where if you, you start. if you leave that, everything else is out. Right, everything else. Everything all else of your out. when you set the essential, which yeah. is the word of God, then everything else is going to flow from that. Would you agree with that? Oh, of course. If it's if it's not that, um, if it's not God's word, then what is it? Sure. And so, an essential when it comes to um, my leading, my shepherding of Truth Baptist Church, our theme this year is Christ the Word. That that that's our focus for this year. I, I wanted our church to understand you cannot separate Jesus Christ from the Word of God. They're, 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 they're inseparable. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh in verse 14. So we know that Christ is the Word, and to, to separate the two is, in essence, for instance, all right, some, some would separate it. Well, we like the thoughts of Scripture, or I can say word for word. There might be some errors in translation. There might be some errors this way. Well, that means there's errors in Christ. And if the word is settled in heaven forever, mm-hmm. forever, Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, and Christ obviously has no beginning, God's word has no beginning. When Moses put pen to paper, that wasn't the first time God's word was ever. It might have been the first time it was, quote-unquote, revealed to man in that way. But I can't say, we can't say that's the first time. God is just now saying it just now breathing it. If it was forever settled in heaven, before David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, before he's sitting there penning this wonderful shepherd psalm, it was already settled in heaven long before he wrote it. When somebody says the original languages, what is the original language? God's word was written before Hebrew was ever 
created, if I can use that word, before Greek was ever created. What's the original language? So I can't separate Christ from this word. And that's an essential. And that is the essential. If I follow Christ, I follow his word. And um, so... All right, so scripturally, uh, Brother Wiley, what, when we talk about the, we say, you know, the, the word of God is essential, like the doctrine of the word of God is essential, and we're, we're speaking to people, you know, of all different biblical understandings, right? Where do you start, and where do you start in that discussion, well, we, <clears throat> where I would begin with, and again, backwards theology is about, um, is about speaking to all levels of understanding, and that's what we're talking about right now. But, and we want to be careful as well about just using philosophical arguments, because my philosophical arguments are only as good as your philosophical arguments. But for us to just come to the realization that every doctrine that we hold to as, well, I would use Bible believers, but since we're talking about the Bible itself, I'll say, use the word Christian. Every doctrine we hold to comes from the scriptures. Like I shared this weekend with someone, I wouldn't even know the name Jesus without the scriptures. I mean, mm -hmm. nothing I... Uh, the Bible tells us that um, that the Christ in the Olivet Discourse in John 14 to 16 uh, promises the Comforter would come, and he speaks of the fact that he will, he will, and I'm going to misquote here, and I apologize, he is going to teach you of me. He's going to show, mm -hmm. he's going to point you to me. And the way that he's going to do that, how how does the Holy Spirit teach us of Christ. Well, he does it through his word, is he's, uh, John 17, 17, thy word is truth. And the Bible says that the spirit is going to guide us in all truth. So I believe that if you're going to talk about essential, essential doctrine, it, it, it has to begin, it has to, with the scriptures, which is the, which is the uh, launching point, so to speak, of all of all of our doctrine is derived from it. Now, let's let's just say this before we start, and I probably should have done this before we dove in. That in this podcast session, we are not going to make a complete list of, you know, I don't want anyone leaving this recording saying, "Well, they didn't mention this. I guess they don't think it's essential." Or sure. they, we're just talking point. generally yeah. about yeah. distinguishing between, okay. This is a this is a doctrine which is essential to our faith. Our faith would would waver without this. Well, this this is a good. It is a, an excellent discussion because uh, helping people get a sense of proportion, like what you know, what doctrines are there? Doctrines that practically carry greater weight to me right now. Uh, that influence other doctrines. So, for example, we're talking about the Word of God, and and what is what is the Word of God? Uh, why is that doctrine essential? Well, because it's the it is the foundation upon which everything else is built. Right, Christ right. is our foundation. The Word is our foundation. So, 
there's some doctrines. Okay, I was reading this morning in First Timothy chapter 1, and then Second Timothy 2 speaks about Hymenaeus, right? And Hymenaeus, um, he departed from the faith. He, uh, he said the resurrection is already past, okay? So he got that doctrine wrong, and because he got that doctrine wrong, Paul said that he delivered him unto Satan, that he would learn not to blaspheme in First Timothy 1. But in Second Timothy, he, this, whoever Hymenaeus is, he had a great deal of influence because he caused others to depart from the faith. So there are some doctrines that getting them right has great bearing on other mm-hmm. things that, that are going to fo- follow um, in our faith. And so to your point, you, there's no way we could cover all of the quote-unquote essentials, but to actually get the discussion going that there are essentials, how do we understand those essentials? How do we separate the essential from the non-essential? So the Word of God is where we start. It is, and what's interesting is um, even the nature of the Word of God itself. Is it something that man discovered and that man has, has uh, painstakingly pieced together and man has preserved and man has been able to discern what is, you know, what manuscripts were the Word of God and what manuscripts were not the Word of God? Or does God himself promise to preserve his Word? Um, well, just to answer that biblically, obviously, <clears throat> the Bible says in Psalm 138, verse 2, that God has magnified his Word above his name. Mm-hmm. I, uh, he has promised in his Word that... Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, that man has never been given the responsibility to preserve the Word of God. If there's ever a book, you know, of all the book burnings in history, if there's ever a book that man would have loved to have ridden the earth of, it would have been the book that condemns him mm-hmm. to a Christless eternity. It, it would be the Bible. So the very fact that the Bible exists today, in my mind, is just says that it's the Word of God, because man, there's no way man could have written this book. Man is the hero of his work, and man would never condemn himself to hell. There's just no way that man would write the Scriptures, and also there's no way that man could preserve the Scriptures. Multiple times God takes that upon himself, that he is going to preserve his word. I was um, with someone uh, this weekend who has several copies of Pilgrim's Progress um, throughout the years. And his oldest copy, I think it was in the 1700s. And the, the, the preface before that book, in, in the beginning of that book, talks about the painstaking processes they took to make sure it was as true to the original as possible. And then we looked at some of the other Pilgrim's Progresses that, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, great book. I mean, apart from scripture, um, it's what number uh, Bible being number one, most printed book in the world and Pilgrim's Progress be number two. And in, in, in the rest of them, I think his earliest one, um, was in the 1920s or whatever. It doesn't matter. But it didn't have that preface in it, you know, the painstaking process of making sure. Why? 
Because Pilgrim's Progress, and like any other book, throughout time can go through changes or, or, or man can put this in. I personally like to buy first editions for that very reason. Because if left to man, the preservation will start to deteriorate and fade away. God's word, the preservation of God's word was never put on man's shoulders to do. Right. Thou shalt keep them, thou shalt preserve them, Psalm 12. Well, who's the thou? Well, clearly, if you go through scripture in that context, you know it's talking about the Lord. So we got to stop with this, the, the idea, the, the, remember the telephone game? When you, when you whisper and it goes around, well, there's no way throughout the centuries it could be, well, because man, yeah, there's no way man could do it. But a faith-based view of scripture says, I have to believe that God said what God would do. Am I using circular reasoning to have the Bible prove that the Bible is the word of God, that the Bible is preserved through the, log, through the philosophical way of thinking? Yeah, if I can use circular reasoning, okay, that's fine. I don't care, but I need faith because I use the Bible. I think, Chad, you brought this up. Um, my doctrine of salvation is based on Scripture. My doctrine of, of church is based on Scripture. Why can't the doctrine of Scripture be based on Scripture? Right. So... And, and, you know, again, if we just cut right to the chase, I mean, every one of us, we hold to the King James Bible as the preserved Word of God today. And that's going to be built upon the promises that we find in the Scriptures. You know, you've mentioned the Psalm. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And, you know, we even touched on the discussion earlier today about preservation and inspiration, which actually took place first. You know, did the preserved Word of God exist before holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost? And if preservation... I mean, what do you think about that? Is, is Did preservation as, as a reality, did that exist before... And maybe this is the wrong question, but did it exist before inspiration as a divine process? You know, before that happened, what do you think about that, James? I think the answer is yes, obviously. Um, but what's our typical order? Our typical and, order is inspiration first, and then what God inspired, uh, God preserves. But that gives the understanding that if we begin with inspiration that somehow that is where the Word of God began, yep. that it it has an origin, it has a beginning, and from that beginning it's preserved. But the Bible tells us that the Word of God was established before it was given to man, long True. before it was given to man. Um, and if you think of it, man existed before the Word of God was given to man. Sure. God did not begin to give his Word to man until um, until... Now, I believe the first book of the Bible chronologically written was the book of Job, but um, let's say it's Moses. I believe Job um, is the book that was written first, and um, but even so, that's post-flood. That's, that's after the flood, and that's that is a that's a that's a category. Uh, or a category, if you will, of the word, because the spoken word, Adam was created, right? Adam and Eve are created, and then they're given 
the first commandment, the spoken word, spoken word, right, is given to them. Right. That spoken word is binding. It's it's of settled course. in heaven, and you know, um, so you when you said man was created, you know, man existed before he received the word. Even Adam and Eve, that's true of them. And what I mean is. The written word. The written word, right. Right. God spoke to them, Yeah. Um, which that is, that is revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, God spoke to Enoch, which that is revelation. Um, but as far as the written word that we are discussing now, man existed for hundreds of years upon the earth before the inspiration, holy men of God writing it down. So um, obviously... God's word existed f- long before, eternity before, um, it was given unto man. So I believe that considering the scriptures, that yes, God inspired to... This is the way I would put it, just trying to, again, think of just um, you know as common as we can, that God inspired... His preserved word unto man is the way that I think of it. So the word that's already preserved, he inspires it and makes it manifest unto man. In which we 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 define inspiration by First Peter, right? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So you could even take that word inspiration and insert the definition. Right. Right? God so the how, scriptures give it give us the definition. Right. Right. So the so the the preserved word of God was given when holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It was already written. It was already settled before sure. they spoke. Right, right. Because you know all Scripture is given by inspiration. Mm-hmm. So the means in which the Scripture is given. So if it's Scripture, that means it's already down. It's already written. And then if it's given, I mean, you know what I mean? Yes. It's, it's already preserved, already there. Now it's given to man through the means of inspiration. Sure. Preservation first. Sure. What you looking at, Brother Wiley? I'm just, I'm just, a verse is coming to my mind and mm-hmm. I'm just trying to look it up. So y'all keep talking. <laughs> sure. Okay. And, you know, I mean, just in its simplest form, you know, thinking of, okay, holy men of God. 1 Samuel 15, verse 10, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, um, that God, God, um, how about 2 Samuel 23 and verse number 2? Uh, this is a verse, this is the verse I was trying to find, uh, that just speaking of holy men of God wrote as the Spirit moved them, 2 Samuel 23 um, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Hmm. You know, the, the question comes, okay, um, did God inspire these men, like an artist, would be inspired by a beautiful sunset? Um, did they just take dictation, like a secretary would write down word for word what their boss tells them to write down? I don't even know if they do that anymore. My wife did that 25 years ago in corporate America. But 
I take them to 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me. He uses a human instrument, but it's the Spirit of the Lord speaking, speaking. by me. And his word, not my words, and his word was in my tongue. So I think in that verse, it tells clearly who the origin of the word of God is, even though he uses human instrument to bring it forth unto man. So this is, this is uh, sometimes people will say, well, uh, how, what did Jesus think of the scriptures, right? <laughs> what did Jesus think of the word? So you mentioned, you know, David in the spirit, um, the fair, in, in Matthew 22, right? The Pharisees, verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So the focus then, of course, being David is speaking how? In spirit. Mm-hmm. Scripture is being given as David is speaking um, under inspiration, right? By inspiration, a holy man of God as he's moved by the Holy Ghost. So Jesus understood uh, the scriptures to have come by inspiration, and he never, and, and he didn't have, in, uh, here, you know, here's another issue for another day perhaps, but he didn't have the original manuscript no. in his hand or in his possession to be able to speak that authoritatively. But he spoke it authoritatively because the Word of God was settled in heaven and God was going to preserve it. He could speak it uh, with authority. That's right. Well, isn't the very meaning of the word scripture, scripture. script, sure. means... It means copy. Copy. Sure. It does not... When Jesus was handed the book of Isaiah in Luke 4, that was not the original... Uh, scroll of Isaiah. The synagogue of Nazareth. I don't even believe what Moses physically, humanly wrote down existed in David's day. I don't Mm -hmm. believe David had the law of Moses, meaning right from the pen of Moses. He didn't. Uh, If God can preserve his word forever, then he can certainly preserve it for the last however many years here on earth. Uh, To think that that somehow is some Herculean effort of God to preserve his word when he's preserved it forever. I mean, it is hilarious if you think about it, when if, if someone, and I mean this with the utmost respect when I say hilarious, that someone is willing to say, you know, well, we believe it's inspired in the originals. You know, okay, so, so you're going to tell me that you don't think that God had the foresight to recognize, well, shoot, if I'm going to give it, I better make sure it stays intact. Mm. You know, and he, like he didn't have the foresight to preserve his word. Even if you hold that preservation came place ha- or happened after inspiration, you're you're going to say that God then entrusted man to preserve his word. You know, it is it is just like uh, the most valuable, precious thing. The word of God was precious, is precious. To, to think that to think that low of God mm-hmm. that he would be unable to preserve his word and that, that we're supposed to live by right that we're supposed to know him by that's right and we're also according to Peter's epistle that we're to grow thereby sure you know the sincere milk of the word how many times did Christ say have you not read in the scriptures have I mean, you not read in the right. scriptures right 
uh, and he'd point them to the law of Moses. Mm. Okay, well, by the time of Christ, that means that the word of God had to have been preserved for 15 centuries, mm -hmm. from Moses to Christ. Mm -hmm. None of the same people that complain about, well, how could it possibly be preserved? No one questions when Christ called it scripture that it was preserved for 15 centuries. Sure. But to be preserved 15 centuries after Christ, uh, I don't know if that's kind of hard. That's kind of hard to do. I don't know how yeah. that could possibly happen. Sure. Um, it's interesting. What I, I know, I know that we could spend a lot of time on the scriptures. I, I don't want to get off course because course. What, what, what's interesting in these podcasts, I can find that we could just, you know, go down every rabbit trail and sure. have rabbit stew for supper. Yeah. We're talking about essentials. So I, I'd say we're pretty well agreed that the, the essential, yeah. uh, the essential of our faith is the scriptures from which every other doctrine comes. So can I ask a reverse question? Sure. Just, you know, what happens practically for a believer if the word of God is a non-essential? And what I mean about that, like practically, where they, they open up their Bible and... Uh, you know, they kind of just, they lick their finger and hold it to the, figure out which which Bible they're going to read today. Oh, I'm going to go with an ESV today. Oh, I'm going to read the NIV. Oh, I really like how the CSB frames this. What do you think happens practically when you're mucking it up? What's interesting, I was reading a, I was just looking at my, my wife gave me a book or a booklet, I can't remember, two or three weeks ago and and just showed it to me and and I opened it up in the beginning, and the author had four different versions listed in the front. So <laughs> I thought to myself, okay, do we just look for what says what we want it to say? Okay, but don't you uh, hear people say that? I really like how this version frames it, right? Well, well what difference does that make, how, whether you like it or not? Well, I believe that the word is to change us. We're not mm -hmm. to change it. And, um, you know, you can find anyone, regardless of what you believe, you can find somebody who's going to agree with you. So to find a word of God that agrees with your, uh, with your frame of mind, so to speak, that's not difficult. That's not difficult at all. You talked about perhaps the danger of not making, I, I believe it's a danger. It's a danger of not having the right word. You know, I could have a treasure map. Um, I could have two maps, and the only difference is the starting point. It will say, take 20 paces north, take... Th but if they each have a different starting point, I can follow the map correctly, but I'm not going to find the treasure. And again, I'm not trying to use philosophical arguments here, but um, that seems to be the manner of the day, philosophical arguments. But... To me, it is so vital. If I am going to give an account to the Lord someday of how I have kept his word, if I'm going to give an account someday of, you know, how as a pastor I have guided people by his word, then I want to make sure I have his word. I mean, that's, that's so key that I have his word. What was said you know, if Bill Clinton can argue under oath the definition of the word is, 
And that became a thing. I'll never forget that 20 some years old standing here, um, hearing the most powerful man in the world discuss the definition of the word is, mm-hmm. then we can see the importance of words, mm-hmm. how important they are. And I don't know how I brought up Bill Clinton and the Word of God. <laughs> pretty good same, though, pretty good. Same conversation. Connection. But my point is for those who say, ah, it's good enough, words don't mean anything, as long as the thoughts are there. Well, according to Isaiah 55, if you don't have the Word of God, you do not have the thoughts of God. Mm-hmm. The premise that you can have the thoughts of God without the Word of God is biblically impossible, mm-hmm. according to Isaiah 55. But well, why should we bring the Bible into sure. it, right? But, okay, so, so if you start with preservation, or you go from preservation to inspiration, then you should expect that because preservation and inspiration are promised, that we should have the Word of God, not just a word, but the Correct. Word of God somewhere. And, and if you, so, so if there is the reality that you should expect to have the Word of God, then it should be somewhere, you should be able to hold it. And we're very careful to, to use singular Right, it should right. be available to us singular. Um, and if I'm going to rightly divide the word of truth, I've got to have it somewhere. But if that's a non-essential for me, if that's a non-essential, then I, I can I can make the Bible say, I can make a book say whatever I want it to say, and I can frame it whatever theology works best for me and makes my life better or more pleasing, which is going to lead to confusion. Totally, totally, absolutely. And but the Bible says that God is not the author right. of confusion. So if there are, if you're comparing two translations, right, and there is some kind of confusion between the two translations, there's a difference. Two things that are different can't are be not the same. the same. And so God is not the author of both. Right. You cannot have many words. Okay, and I'm many different representations of the Word of God, because there's going to be confusion. He's not the author of confusion, preservation, inspiration. That should actually give people confidence. Like they should, there should be confidence in the Word of God, because by faith I understand He's preserved it for me today. That's right. Can I use another philosophical? I brought this up in our services yesterday. Where else, you know, those who say, well, it's 95% accurate, it's whatever percent they put on it, I always ask them, where else in your life do you accept that? Yeah. If your bank advertises, you know what, we get your account right 92% of the time. (laughs) Are you banking with them? If I come home to my wife tonight and said, honey, I love you so much, I've been faithful to you 92% of the time. Ooh, that's not good. Oh, she's just going to, oh, that's that's good enough for me, honey. Sure, (laughs) right. (laughs) Where else in your life do you accept that? I I just don't, I don't understand. I don't, Mm. um, well, let's let's use that as a launch point. Again, we're established the fact that the Word of God is essential. Um, Do you feel, and when I mention the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand that that opens several doctrines. His virgin birth, his atonement. Mm. His, I mean, when I mention to you the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, that encompasses several other things. For instance, if I deny his virgin birth, if I deny his sacrificial atonement, if I, if I deny his physical death and bodily resurrection, Understanding that there's 
multiple doctrines under the one. You know, under the word of God, I believe that there's the doctrine of, I believe, first preservation, then inspiration. But under the Lord Jesus Christ, there's multiple doctrines. Would you consider those of the Lord Jesus Christ as essential doctrines? Right, Josh. It's the theme for your church this year, so. Christ the word. Yeah. And yes, I would consider them essential doctrines. But then it's like, Just, okay, oh, we'll break them down. Like what? What is well? Essential? It begins with his with his. Well, do you begin with his virgin birth? That's that's no. his. But, I think but, you begin with his deity. I think you begin with John he, one. Right if, in the beginning if, was the word. If you go the to was, just the virgin birth, then you have a beginning for Christ when right. there isn't one. I mean, his virgin birth is you would call it his incarnation. His incarnation, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so incarnation is not the first thing, correct? That he did Truth. because we learn from uh, Hebrews, John one. Hebrews 1 and Colossians, Colossians one. 1, that he is actually the creator. That's right. Right? So, so clear, you know, the eternal word in the beginning was, I would think that's where you start. Hmm. As, as Eternality, his deity. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Christ was a creation in Mary's womb, that that mm -hmm. was his beginning, where he began. So you would have to begin with the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Remember what the Bible says that in him dwelleth all the fullness, the fullness, the fullness of the forgive Godhead me, I, I was forgetting that word, fullness of the Godhead bodily. Right. That's right. What that means, all the fullness of God the Father dwells in Christ. Sure. All the fullness of... Jesus Christ is not one-third God. Right. That's or good. half. Or, or half. Or, yeah. Right. right. He, it, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead He bodily. is the I am. Yes. Yeah. So, but it begins there. It begins with... Um, there are versions today that changes the word virgin to maiden sure. or young woman, which annihilates the doctrine of the virgin birth. Well, that's essential. Yeah. That is absolutely essential. So, so can I go back to the, the incarnation for a minute? Um, so are you bringing into question the salvation status of, of a Jehovah's Witness? I'm playing. I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? Are you saying that that in order for a person to be born again, that they must believe in the the Christ as revealed in the preserved Word of God? Yes. Okay. If you read in what they call the Bible, if you read John one one, the last Jehovah's Witness that came to my door, I had my Bible. He had what he. I won't call it the Bible. What he calls the Bible. And I said, would you please turn to John 1.1 1, 1 and see? And I, I said, I'm going to read what the Bible says. You read what your book says. Sure. And not only whenever referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the word God is used, it's lowercase. Mm. But it says, it doesn't say, and the word was with God and the word was God. It actually says, and the word was a God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you've made him no better than Satan. Mm -hmm. sure. No sure. better. So can, And so I, I said, so this is the one that you say died for your sins. This is your Savior. Look at what your faith has done. And he didn't have a response. He, sure. had to go, he had to go back and talk with whoever, and come. he came back like a day or two later. Yeah. Right. Um, so can that Christ save you? I would say no, it cannot. Sure. So Mormons, I think, 
in, in a similar vein, Mormons hold that Jesus is the brother, I believe, of of Lucifer, of Satan, um, and and so this you know practically for a Christian, for a Bible believing Christian, he's going to have to make a distinction. She's going to have to make a distinction. And understand when someone says, "Oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus." Well, you, you got to dig into that, right? And find which, out which Jesus, which Jesus yeah. are they speaking of, um, as well. Okay, there are a lot of Jesuses that played Major League Baseball. Sure. So, except I said I think it was be... Jesus. So okay. that, <laughs> yeah, it was Jesus, maybe. not Jesus. Yeah. 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 Very good. But all those doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ are essential. They're they're essential doctrines. And I, I think, well, I, I was going to say, I think for, for both of those, there wouldn't be any question, but there is question. I mean, Brother Josh and I, you know, just spoke with someone recently who didn't feel that the Word of God is an essential issue. And I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, what, what, uh, what is there more essential? Uh, how about this? How about this? The doctrine of the church. I don't have to go to church to be saved. I can worship out in the woods. I can worship from my canoe fishing. Uh, is the doctrine of the church essential, essential to our faith? What I mean by that is that it is important for me to have this established, what the Word of God teaches me about the church. Is that important? In a day in which church is becoming less and less and less important to Christianity, I'm not even talking about to the world, I'm talking about to Christianity. Well, you can't separate your love, a person's professed love of Christ. If they say, I love the Lord, I love Jesus Christ, he's my Savior, well, you're going to love the things that he loves if you truly love him. And the Bible says in Ephesians, uh, husbands love your wives even as... Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So you have to, it's tough because we have to be so, you know, kind and gracious. But but when people say that, you know, I love God, I, I love Jesus, I can worship him in the woods, you want to call their bluff and say, you don't love him. You don't love him at all. If you loved him, you would love the things that he loves. And nowadays people are lovers of them own selves. These are the days that we live in. So in terms of our how we feel about the church, our affection for the church is going to follow if we have affection, love for Christ. I like the way you put that. I, I always, I always, my response to folks who say, well, um, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. My response is always, well, I don't have to come home to be married sure. either. But sure. if I told you I never came home to my wife, you know, me coming home to her and dwelling in the same house with her does not make us married. Sure. Mm. But it shows my affection for her and my love for her. If I told you, oh, yes, I love my wife, but I never come home. Right. But yet you're going to say, boy, I love the Lord, but I never go to what he died for. I I never. Or furthermore, you want to take it another step further. You know, people who faithfully attend church but don't do a blasted thing. (laughs) Right. If I'm going to take your marriage philosophical argument right, a step right. further, you say you you love your wife, but everything she asks you to do, you never, you never do. do. You just well, guess what? Bull. You don't love her yeah. because you're not you're not you don't show her that you you show her that you love her by your actions. Love is seen in action. 
And so back to the doctrine of the church. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about it do you think, what about it you think is essential in our understanding of what the church is? I mean, it's the body of Christ, yeah. but what's essential? We're staring at you, Lovelace. I know, I saw That's that. Right. <laughs> no, go ahead. You were well, say I was something. just going to say what's essential, I believe it is essential that we're a part of it. Just because I'm... Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm a part of his church. Yeah, but we're all Christians everywhere. We're all <laughs> part of... Well, we, I, I believe we can see very clearly from his word that, um, you know, that we are commanded to be a part of his church. So a can visible, you define it? A visible part. Okay. Not a... Look, I believe in the body of Christ. I, I, I believe in the... First um, Corinthians twelve thirteen says that when we are saved, we are baptized by one Spirit into the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So I have brothers and sisters all over, um, all over the earth. The first time that that body will assemble is when Christ assembles it, um, when He comes for His body. But until then, there is the visible part of the church, the body, because. Uh, the very definition of the word church is assemble. Right. I, I don't know how we do that unless, and I believe that's, well, not to keep going down side trails, because I know that over the past two years has been a huge hit on the assembling of the church, mm-hmm. whether, okay, we're virtually assembling and we're... And yeah, what's your definition of assemble? Right. Yeah. I'm going to virtually pay my bills. That's right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I believe the Bible to teach a physical... Sure. Assembly. That's, that's what assembly. I was driving at. Right, you right. Because people use the term church, and it's becoming so broad in its use, it applies to right. almost anything. You know, people accept the phrase Zoom church as a thing that is acceptable, as mm-hmm. a as a as an enduring thing, as opposed to a temporary solution. I think we all we all for a time when we were getting our bearings at the beginning, we all zoomed it or live streamed right. it. But then when you kind of figured out, all right, well. We've had time to think about this and pray about this. What's our best course of action? We may have, many may have taken different steps than mm. than Zoom Church. When you work for Tim Wood at Woods Electric, would he allow you to Zoom work and you still get a paycheck? Uh, so I can say this now because I'm not a <laughs> not an employee anymore. He's still my friend and my brother, and and I would work for him again. And I hope I believe he would hire me again. But there were, as an illustration, talking with another, I use that same illustration. I said, I don't think Tim would. He's not going to let me say, how I want to work from home today. Yeah, I'm going to wire up that house from home today. Sure. So I'm just, just yeah. set up a video camera there and right. I'll just I'll just zoom that in. Right. Just me. have one of your boys stand there. I'll tell them what to do <laughs> while I sit at home in my pajamas. Yeah, that doesn't work. And you know, practically people miss out. You, you, it's not just a commandment, you know, forsaking. I mean, I think it's kind of clear in Hebrews, forsaking not forsaking the assembling right. of yeah. yourselves As together. the manner of some is. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's this weird phrase in there, so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So Meaning even we need if to you, be together even what's more. What's that? Meaning we need to be together even sure. more. Even if you take Hebrews as a tribulational book, doctrinally, <laughs> right, there still is, there still is a good devotional practical application for us as believers to gather more as we see the day approaching. What's the first thing God said that wasn't good in Genesis? 
you know, he makes this, this is good. He makes this, this yeah. is good. He makes this. What's the first thing that he says is not good? For man it, to be alone. It's not good that man should be That's alone. That's a good thought. The first thing he says. Yep. We were created to be together. Sure. I mean, that, that's, that's in, in our creation, in our being. Well, doesn't language itself, communication itself yeah. is... Communication is a non-essential if, if you're not meant to be together, right? Like, not, I don't mean non-essential in terms of our, our discussion, but if, if language and communication exists, that means that we're supposed to be communal creatures, right. right? God made us that way. And when you're not that way, when you isolate, what happens? You get weird. That's the best way I can explain you it. You get weird. You get you're weird. You're stuck with your own thoughts. When you isolate, you get weird. Yeah, you do. You do. So we've talked about the Word of God. We've talked about the Lord Jesus Christ, which there's many doctrines under that. I mean, under the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got doctrines which we could talk about. For instance, we talked about his deity, the fact that he is God, the Godhead, uh, virgin birth, um, his blood atonement. There's other doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we didn't talk about, his return, mm-hmm. um, um, which is something that we could talk about. Um, his resurrection. His resurrection, obviously essential. Um, we just talked about the church, that we do believe that the church is an essential doctrine. And there, the church is very much like the scripture debate, okay, which is the true church. And maybe we could have a future... Uh, recording about that, uh, just just because you know, if it's got four walls and a steeple, is it a is it a, is it a church? A yeah. New Testament church that sure. Christ died for. Right. Um, here's another doctrine to talk about, and again, this goes into many sub doctrines as well, and that would be the doctrine of salvation. Do you feel that that you know everyone's everyone's saved? Everybody, if you ask someone, do you believe that you're going to heaven? Yes. Well, why do you believe that? you'll get a myriad of answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is the doctrine of salvation essential? We live in an all-inclusive um, all-inclusive world, can't offend anybody. Um, what do you think about that? Oprah, Start with Josh. We need to hear from Josh more. The big O, Oprah Winfrey, said... The big O. The big O. <laughs> said, well, it depends on what mood she's in. Sometimes, never mind. Sorry, that's going to get bad. So, but she, she said, Jesus Christ cannot possibly be the only way. She, and by her own admission, grew up in a church. I couldn't tell you what church she grew up in. And I'm not trying to just use her, but I'm, I'm just going, I'm going somewhere. Um, but she had a lady, stand, don't ask why I know this. I didn't watch this episode, but I'm just saying. Back when she used to have her show, stop. Chad, I'm just trying stop. to figure I'm out not watching. why is it your first <laughs> point of argument is from Oprah. Oprah. So this person <laughs> stands up and because they were talking about the afterlife. And this person stands up in her audience and says, what about Jesus? And her response, Oprah's response is, well, what about Jesus? The lady says, well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I'm going, wow, this person in the audience of Oprah just said that. Why should he even be in there anyway? Oprah says, so you're saying Jesus is the only way? And the lady says, yes. And she goes, he cannot possibly be the only way. Well, what is she using for her reasoning for that? Where, where is she going? Right? For us, uh, an essential is scripture, non-debatable. We have to start, our obviously, our foundation is scripture. So if we get this one, salvation, I am the way. 
not a way. We already brought up the idea of a God. He's not a way. He's the way. If Jesus said it to be true, then I must accept, whether I like it or not. The old, um, our, our alma mater put out a song years ago. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's God said it. What's the old, I don't know who said it, somebody. But it's God said it, that settles it whether I believe it or not. Sure. I don't have to believe it for it to be true. And so if Oprah doesn't believe Jesus is the only way, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the only way. I don't care what Oprah says about it. If I am to, to, to hold to the doctrine of salvation of, do I believe that Jesus Christ, first off, if he wasn't virgin born, well, then I can't be saved. If he's not God, I can't be saved. All right. In my belief, if, um, there's no resurrection. First Corinthians 15 says we are all of most, we, we, we are of all men most miserable. If, because uh, I, I just recently brought that one up in my studies of realizing that it's not just the death of Christ, it's his resurrection as well. We cannot leave that out of the gospel. Jesus died for you. Well, he also rose again for you. Romans 5 says, much more we shall be saved by his life. So um, there's the you know resurrection. We have all this in, all encompassing in salvation. So you have something you, you're, you're, you're trying to think, you, you want to say. I can say, I can tell by your face. No, I'm just, I'm trying to remember the one thing I'm supposed to remember when, I, and I was oh, just, okay. you know how you, you have a thought and you're like, okay, if I don't pay attention, it's going to run away. But yeah, another right. gospel, Paul deals with but another gospel. Another gospel. And he specifically, you know, the word of God levels a curse at those that Galatians would preach one, right? another gospel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Galatians 1 verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the gos- into the grace of Christ, into the grace of Christ, right. salvation by grace through faith. Um, I marvel that you're removed from that gospel. And then he says this in verse 7, which is not another. It's not another in the sense that there are plural, there's gospels. Humanism when man is the measure of all things, it's going to give way to pluralism where everybody's ideas are acceptable because there's no longer authority. What's your truth? Right. If man is the measure of all things, one man, it's the whole philosophical thing. Your philosophy is as good as mine. It just comes down to who articulates it better and and, and who had the better cup of coffee that morning. <laughs> but um, Paul says there's not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the singular gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then in case it's unclear, he says, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. accursed. So yeah, it's dangerous ground to, to depart from the gospel of grace Paul's gospel, salvation by grace and through faith. Mm-hmm. I was talking with someone who's very close to me, a family member, and um, who does not know the Lord, but feels that he is saved. And the last time I talked with him about it, he he started the conversation. He says he just starts off by saying. Um, so why do you feel like I'm not going to heaven? And my response was, 
well, have you done what the Bible says? Now, at this point, I've spent hours sharing the gospel with him. Have you done what the Bible says? Well, I, I, you know, he then goes to, as the lawyer did, the Bible says, seeking to justify himself. Right. Yeah. That's what we do. And I just kept saying, have you done what the Bible says? Have you done what the Bible says? You know, I, I'm, I know you want to explain yourself into heaven, but have you done what the, what the Bible says? Because um, that is what is essential today, is that we do what the Word of God says. And um, God is not all-inclusive. He's all-inclusive in that whosoever will may come. Mm -hmm. But um, we have to understand that not everyone, and we've all heard the, well, all rivers lead to the sea. Well, that's fine for rivers, but we're talking about that's right. men that's and right. their eternity. Well, rivers, rivers, rivers don't flow uphill, right? <laughs> they flow downhill, right? Right. Okay, and, and heaven is where it's up, it's not down. We, um, salvation is absolutely vital. It is absolutely essential. And... But remember, we live in a world today where now are... How many times have you heard, you know, someone describe someone to you as a pastor and they'll say, well, this guy, he doesn't come to church. He, he beats his wife. He, you know, yells at his kids. He's, but he loves the Lord. Yeah. You know, and they say all of these horrible things, but the qualifier is, but he, but he loves, loves the, the Lord. Lord at the end. And, well, it's more than just, you know, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and which keep thy precepts, which keep thy precepts. So, uh, again, it's Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right. That salvation is absolutely essential. If we believe in the doctrine of the church, we believe the church is a regenerate church, meaning you must be saved right. to be a part of it. If salvation is not essential, then the church, doctor of the church can't be essential, because to be a part of the church, you must be a believer in Christ. So there's a there's a mega church, we say mega for Maine, right? I mean, it's like hundreds of people. <laughs> but I just wonder if you were to say to the average attendee of that, that mega church, Hey, do you believe in regenerate church membership? I just wonder what their answer would be. Like, do you believe in regenerate? I believe church most membership? would know what you're talking about. Right. We got a generator out back. That's right. Yeah. Kicks on when the power goes out. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> no, it, it it's it's absolutely essential, and um, and you know. What I've heard recently on on some of these things that we're talking about is, and again, we're trying to talk as well to the perhaps preacher who's struggling, who pastors a handful of people, um, that perhaps is tempted to overlook some of these things we're talking about. Yeah, he wants he wants people sitting. He wants yeah. people to... And what pastor doesn't? That's right. You want people to come. And I believe some of these things might be coming non-essential, or I'm tempted to change my view of them just in my desire for people to come. 
And can you speak a little bit? Look, none of us are uh, none of us are a mega church by any means, and we all, I would say, pastor smaller assemblies. And but I can say the temptation is real to say that it's yes. not. You're just lying. You're the looking te- at guilty. Um, for years, that that was me. I, I was why make this an issue? Because if I make this an issue, I'm going to drive people away. And one of them for me was the King James. I wouldn't stand firm. We actually used a Sunday school curriculum that wasn't King James. And um, it actually caused some confusion with folks in our church. Pastor, I thought you only King James. Well, we know what they're saying. Just use the Bible. When they say King James, when they say their verse, just open up your Bible and you're fine. And it was causing some confusion, but I was also bringing people in. And so at that point, I'm going, hey, this is obviously working. It, it it was the the moment for me was when the Lord showed me that I'm giving an account for the truth that's given. And if I'm giving an account for what I'm saying and what what scripture is scripture at Truth Baptist Church, that's our name, truth, then it doesn't matter if I have three hundred people, if I have three people. My account is what am I giving is truth. God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the people sitting in the pews. God would, and I get the temptation of wanting the more people, the more, and let's, let's just say it. All right. We all think it, but the more people means the more income into the church. And, and, and would you also say more people is the way we define success? Sure. That is the as way well. we define success. As Westerners. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and then I look at scripture because if this is what my my authority is, the only time success is found is Joshua one eight, and it's all about the Bible. So, so if I'm going to have success, well, I got to stop promoting or doing because I would. Well, I won't have them preach in my pulpit, but it's okay to read their book. Well, they're not. They're not. They're not using King James, so that clearly they're not using the Word of God, and um, it's it was causing for me anyway the confusion in the four walls of what we call the church. And we had to scale back and say, okay, we need to stop or rather we need to define what scripture is. And by defining what scripture is, we got to hold true to this so that everything else, if it doesn't line up with this, we can't use it. It's not going to be. So does that make sense? But I understand the temptation of the, of the small church. I want people well, think of this. This is what I've thought of my, you know, my 20 years of ministry is the longer Christ preached, the smaller his crowds got mm-hmm. until at the end it was just him and the Father. So for those who feel that numbers deem success, I would ask, was Christ preaching successful hmm. using your definition? I would have to say no, because by at the end of John 16... There were only 11 with him at that point. Christ had preached to thousands, and now he's down to 11, and in verse 32, he says, you're all going to leave me, and it's just me and the Father. So to use, you know, to not stand for what is essential, because let's just be honest, I believe one of the big motivators of not embracing some of these essential things we've talked about is to try to appease people, to try to reach people. We think in our minds, well, if I I would just do this, I would reach more people. 
And it's just not so. If you get them with pizza, you got to keep them with pizza and ice cream. There's no, there's no end. So, um, any last thoughts on this topic before we wrap it up? I just think it goes back to, or it goes to what you, you, know, you said. Well, check yourself by the word of God, mm-hmm. and and Christ did promise to build His church. His ministry did go s- smaller over time, but Jesus also intentionally poured most of his ministry into three guys. Yeah. I mean, those three were, and, and Paul had how many sons in the faith? Well, he had Timothy and Titus, and yet here we are 2,000 years later, right? So, and, and the scriptures doesn't give us anywhere uh, numerical targets for which to strive or certain ratios. You know, like you ask someone if they're how healthy their church is, and sometimes they measure it by demographics. Well, we got a certain number of elderly, and and nobody, and, and rarely do do we in this day and age do people give thought to the maturity of the believers within the body as a measure of of that success, right? Where the word dwells in them, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It hasn't been as much a temptation for me to you know, to have more people um, because it's like they say, more money, more problems. <laughs> I knew you could say you know, More people, more... I like what... Um, can we name drop? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I like what our friend um, Adam Pierce said. I never heard it. I don't know if it's original to him, but he said that um, he believes God wants um, not... Okay, I got to word it right. I'm going to say it backwards, but it's Okay. <laughs> God wants thousands of churches, not churches of thousands. Yeah, and I I'd never heard it like that before, and uh, I think there's truth, a lot of truth in I think that. It's sound, yeah. In yeah. terms of what you can realistically do in terms of pastoral ministry, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. It, well, we, God multiplies by dividing. By dividing, yes. that's how He does it. Yeah, and so. You know, we have not exhausted any list today, and I think in our time, and we mentioned it beforehand, that there's no way. So just because particular doctrines were not mentioned, we are not saying that they are non-essential. It's just with time restraints, as you can imagine, uh, that is the time that we have for this recording. Um, But we just, we want to encourage you to say that whether you're a preacher or whether you're a faithful member of your local church that you need to understand that these doctrines of the Word of God are essential, and you must have them, they they must be the conviction of your heart. And these are important. These are um, things that must be settled. If they've settled in heaven, then they certainly ought to be settled in our hearts. Uh, So uh, we're going to say goodbye for now. Uh, From Backwoods Theology, we are going to be bringing another episode to you uh, as soon as we can. But until then, uh, stay true to those essentials of the faith. Uh, But God bless you. We'll be coming to you again. 